Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Hello, friends. Laura McKinney here, your co-host for the Real Leaders podcast. I am so happy you're here tuning in today. And as always, you are in for a treat. Got some amazing pearls of wisdom coming your way, so make sure to share and review after you take a listen. Let's do this. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome back to the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Laura McKinney, and I'm here with Davis Smith, the CEO and founder of Codepaxi. Davis, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Laura. Yeah, of course. And, you know, before we kind of get rolling and get started, I want to give our audience a little bit of context. You know, can you explain to us what Cotopaxi is? Yeah, so Cotopaxi is an outdoor gear brand. We make packs and outerwear and travel bags. Uh, but more importantly, we're actually a, a brand that's focused on fighting poverty. And so while we sell all those great products, that's actually not the reason we exist. The reason we exist is to fight poverty and to show that business can be done better. Yeah, very good. And, you know, bring us back a little bit to your personal origin story, entrepreneurship story. Um, you know, was Cotopaxi always the vision or end goal or did you have other pursuits along the way? You know, what kind of led you to talking to me here today? Yeah, I've had I've had other pursuits along the way. I've been an entrepreneur okay. for 19 years and wow. about nine of those years are with Cotopaxi. And I spent 10 years building a couple other businesses uh, right out of, right out of undergrad and um, then out of business school. And, um, you know, the real difference between what I'm building now and what I built in the past is that this is the first business that has purpose kind of woven into the very DNA of the brand. Um, it's been a passion of mine, you know, fighting poverty. I, I grew up in Latin America, so I was four years old when my family moved to Latin America, um, grew up, you know, going to, uh, you know, Spanish schools and speaking Spanish and, um, you know, saw, you know, in the countries I lived in, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Ecuador, um, saw a lot of poverty. And 
Uh, when I was 19, I, I, I took a two-year break from university, and I was a missionary for my church uh, in Bolivia. And wow. I just fell in love with Bolivia and the amazing people there. Uh, when I lived there, the average annual income uh, of a Bolivian was $500 a year. Wow. And so you can imagine the poverty and, and the places that I lived as a missionary were some of the most impoverished communities in Bolivia. And so um, when I came back when as a 21 year old, came back to the United States and went back to college, like I knew that this was one of my life's missions was to find a way to help people. And um, I did an internship for a nonprofit uh, working in Peru and just found so much fulfillment in it. And I thought that was the path. I thought I would I would work in the nonprofit world. And uh, was actually a mentor of mine at university, a professor who had been a successful entrepreneur and had then dedicated his life to fighting poverty himself. He had started a nonprofit in the Philippines that um, was lifting people out of poverty. And I, I wanted to work for him. Uh, I tried to convince him to let me get a job for him and to expand his program from the Philippines to Latin America. And instead, uh, he convinced me that I should become an entrepreneur. And he said, you know, you're going to make a much bigger impact as an entrepreneur than you would working for me or for another nonprofit. And so that that kind of put me down this entrepreneurial path. Uh, but it took me 10 years as an entrepreneur to really kind of understand how do I translate entrepreneurship into doing good and helping people in the world? Yeah, wow. I mean, when you were exposed to poverty, what was that thing that kind of like clicked in your head of like, you know, I want to be a part of the solution. You know, I want to, to help this because not everybody you know, can say they've been exposed to poverty, you know, especially here in the States. Um, but of, around the world, it's very rarely prevalent. You know, when you were exposed to it, what what clicked in your brain? What was like the emotion behind it that made you want to get involved? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that stood out for me was, um, and I, see, I started recognizing this as a very young child, as a four or five-year-old, um, was that I was not special. Um, I was not better. I was not smarter. I was not harder working or more ambitious. The only reason my life was different was because of where I was born. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I was a, a missionary in Bolivia, I saw this over and over again, every single day, amazing people, beautiful people, kind hearted, hardworking, loved their children, wanted their children to have a better life. And they had no hope. Um, and again, it, it was no fault of their own. And I just, I just, and then I'd come back to the United States and I'd see so much wealth and just, we take it for granted. We, we live this, yeah. these crazy lives where we just have more than we could ever imagine. Like we live in beautiful homes and we have access to education if we want to get educated. And um, I just, it just felt unfair. And so um, I remember when I, when I came back, when I flew back from Bolivia after two years, and this is two hard years. I mean, uh, I spoke uh, at the time, it's a little different now, but at the time, you only spoke to your family twice a year on Mother's Day and Christmas. Wow. Yeah. So it was, uh, and every day you wake up at 6.30 in the morning, you go to bed at 10.30 every night. There's no vacation days. Every single day is focused on somebody else. And it's amazing because you get to, you could learn how to to be outwardly focused and you're not worrying about yourself anymore. And, um, but when I came home after those two years, I remember landing in Salt Lake City and, um, my parents came to the airport to pick me up back in the days when you could actually come to the gate and like welcome someone as they yeah. got <laughs> right. Uh, you know, oh. I was just so happy to see my family. And oh. as we drove home, we we pulled up to my parents' home and um, it's a modest home. It's nothing special, but like, I just, uh, I broke down. I just, uh, I, I couldn't believe this is the life I got to live. And it just didn't even feel right um, that I got to live this life and um, leave these 
these amazing people behind. And um, that's where I really started to feel a drive of like, I need to figure something out. I need to find mm -hmm. some way to have an impact. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful too, you know, to have that prolonged amount of time where everything is just focused outside of yourself, you know, and I think that's probably something. And I, how long ago you said this was? This was uh, 1999 when I came back. So it's, okay, so it's been some yeah, it's been some time, and I'm sure that's like still stuck with you, you know, to like your core to this day. And I think that really transfers probably into your business now, you know, like how do you how do you kind of integrate, you know, the the business side of things with the impact side of things at Cotopaxi? Uh, how do you how do you marry the two? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Laura, because yeah. uh, a lot of brands. Um, when, you know, when I started Cotopaxi, I saw a lot of brands that were maybe doing good, but it was almost on the periphery. It was almost an afterthought. It was like, and, you know, in the 1980s and 90s, you know, we talked, talked about CSR programs, corporate so social responsibility, where businesses, it was almost like they felt guilty that they'd made so much money off the backs of their community or the other, or the planet that they were like, oh, we better go do some good as well so that we can get some goodwill or, you know, to, mm -hmm. to alleviate our guilt. And, yeah. um, I think what we see today is 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 very different, which is you know businesses like Cotopaxi that are built around this idea of doing good first and and foremost. And um, you know one of our earliest hires was a chief impact officer, and we had an impact officer before we even had a marketer. And so you know, and our board pushed back a little bit when I made this decision. You know, they're like, wait, why aren't we hiring someone to go sell more product? Instead, you're yeah. hiring someone to help you give away money better. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the argument that I made to our board was the reason this brand will exist, the reason it will thrive is because we're so committed to our, our mission and our purpose. And if we can do better impact better than anyone has ever done, this brand will work. But if we're just going to try to market to people, then it's going to become like every other brand. There'll be nothing unique or special about it. And so mm. um, I think, you know, to answer your question, it's it, like we've deeply woven our impact into everything that we do. Uh, it's not an afterthought. It's, it is who we are and it is why we exist. Yeah. And I know your your tagline or your slogan is, is gear for good. You know, what are the elements of that good? Uh, kind of break that down a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, that that slogan gear for good, it's, it means several things. Number one, yeah. that we're going to make gear that lasts for good. So like high quality product. But I think most importantly, it's it's about our commitment to doing good in the world through the product that we sell and make. Mm -hmm. And so that involves everything from our supply chain, where um, you know, we, we go have impact in the world through our, what some people call uh, supply chain philanthropy. It's mm -hmm. having an impact around the people that we work with. And it, it's everything from, you know, one of our fact, and we don't have a cookie cutter answer. We don't go to every factory say, this is what we do. We go and we listen we say, what can we do? How can yeah. we have an impact there? You know, at one of the factories, we have a community garden where the, you know, the factory workers could take the, the, you know, fruits and vegetables back home to their families. Um, we have another one where uh, we pay 2% on top of our invoice price that goes into a pool of, of money that uh, a committee of employees manages and they vote on where, how they want to use those funds. Mm -hmm. And they have English classes for their kids. They have computer classes for the children after school. And so they're, you know, not only are we helping these families, but like we're empowering their kids to go have better lives. And so, right. um, and then we, uh, you know, we, not only the supply chain, but we give away, you know, our first five years, we gave away more money than we ever made. Um, and uh, we've, we've continued to give as generously as we can as a brand every single year to nonprofit partners that, that focus on education, healthcare, and livelihood training, which are the three pillars, which we believe are inextricably linked to poverty alleviation. 
Um, and then even the way that we deliver the product. So if you order a backpack or a jacket from Cotopaxi from one of our retail stores or from online, uh, you'll actually get a handwritten thank you card written by a refugee. It's their very wow. first job. Um, they When they get resettled to Salt Lake, uh, our team created a job club where we train them on and help them practice doing job interviews and we help them wow. create their first resume mm -hmm. and they can get their first job with us writing these thank you cards. They write it in their native language. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of them are still learning English, uh, but, you know, the, the more deeply you kind of dive into the Kodavaxi brand, the more you uncover the depth of the impact and, and the work that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, it sounds like there's just been so many ideas and strategies, you know, that have aligned with your mission that you have probably come up with or maybe people within your company have. Um, talk about just the the environment within your company, like the collaboration, like how, how are all these amazing ideas come up with? Uh, is it a collaborative yeah. session? Is it, you know, you get inspiration from somewhere else and you want to incorporate that into how you do things? Um, just talk about that, that flow a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice question, Laura. I'm, I will say most of these great ideas are not mine. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think my job as a CEO, I think if we look back 20 years, uh, you know, when I was in college, Jack Welch was like the ultimate CEO. He was the CEO of GE. Yep. They called him the CEO of the century. He'd created so much wealth and profit through his business, but he'd laid off a hundred thousand people. Like mm -hmm. he was, he was ruthless. And mm -hmm. um, I think the expectations that we have of the CEO are very different now. Mm -hmm. uh, a real leader is not someone that um, just tells people what to do or intimidates people. A real leader is someone, a CEO that that inspires people, that lives the core values of a brand, that that attracts incredible talent and, and brings people in that can be keepers of the flame alongside them. And so that's what that's really what I've tried to do as the CEO of this brand is is to bring along the very best people to um, to make them keepers of the flame alongside me. Yeah. And to inspire them to go solve problems and to come up with great solutions of how we can impact the world positively through our work, whether you're designing a product or working with factories or a marketer or or an intern working for us, you, you're empowered to go create solutions. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, it's it's all about the team you build, really. And that, that's not easy too to build kind of from the ground up. So uh, yeah. kudos to you. That's that's incredible. Um, or I actually yeah. one actually I can give one quick example, actually. Please. Of we do this as yeah. well. Um, we have what we call innovation tournaments. And I actually got oh. exposed to this idea when I was at, at, in business school at the Wharton School in Philadelphia. Oh. One of my very first classes in business school was a class, an innovation class, where the professor challenged everyone in the class to come to the first day of class with 10 business ideas. And we submitted them into a system that he created called the Darwinator. And it was basically this idea of like filtering down the very best ideas. And Everyone got assigned back uh, other people's random ideas. You didn't know who they belonged to, and you rated them from one to ten. And then you got all your ideas back, and you saw which people, you know, which which ideas people really loved and which ones they didn't like. Wow. And then you took your best idea and you presented it to the whole class in one minute with one slide. And mm -hmm. then everyone voted again. And over the course of this class, we had like five hundred ideas that were narrowed down to three. And it was such an eye-opening process. And I started using it internally within my organizations, not just to come up with a, a new business idea, but to solve problems. And so uh, I'll go to the entire company and say, hey, this is a unique challenge that we're facing or that we want to tackle. 
Uh, next week, we're going to meet and everyone, uh, we want you to come with your best ideas. And we'll have hundreds of ideas that'll, that will end up over a couple hours. We narrow down to three or four or five ideas that we go mm-hmm. implement. And uh, it's amazing to see the results. We had uh, we had a product challenge a few a couple of years ago. And the woman that on our team that won this challenge, this innovation tournament with the best idea voted by our whole company, she was working in our uh, distribution center as a warehouse employee picking and pulling boxes and, and shipping them. And wow. she came up with the best product idea. And this is the beauty of these innovation tournaments is like your best ideas don't just come from the top. They come from every level of the organization. Absolutely. And so create a culture of empowering people to do that. Uh, you can get great results. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I feel like a lot of our listeners would would definitely benefit from just like having that knowledge of that strategy in their back pocket. I mean, that's genius. That's really fun too. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely, yeah. and you know, I'd say just as important as the outcomes. It's the right. fact, it's like creating culture, creating this experience where we all are united in solving problems and where there's no hierarchy, where like I can be on the same team with a brand new employee and listening to their idea and say, you know what, your idea is an amazing idea. And there's something really powerful about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah. I think like, you know, going forward to like how, what advice would you give speaking of our listeners, you know, what advice would you kind of give to them when it comes to like prioritizing and putting the mission, you know, at the forefront of your business? Because I think, a lot of times, and I've hear this with talking with a lot of people, um, you know, in the space, you know, the business and all the administration, it kind of can cloud and get overwhelming sometimes and you lose sight of the, the big mission, the big picture of what you're doing. You know, what advice would you give to people in the impact space and, and beyond about really finding that focus when you feel a little unbalanced um, again? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very great question. So, my advice would be a few things. So number one, you need to identify your core values as a business and a brand as early as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something I did not do in my first two businesses. And I, I learned that I had made a mistake. Uh, I needed to do it differently. So with Cotopaxi, we identified our core values before we'd sold anything. And uh, you know, our, our very first meeting as a, as a team where I rounded together five other people to help me go build this brand, we sat down and identified what we stood for. And we started building rituals and traditions to reinforce those values. And the rituals and traditions end up shaping your company culture and culture ends up shaping outcomes. And so um, you have to be very, very clear on what you stand for. Um, As the CEO, as the founder, uh, you have to talk about it every day. Um, You might start thinking, "Ah, everyone's going to get really tired of me talking about this. Uh, You know, they don't and they won't. And you just need to reinforce every single day why you exist and what your purpose is, what your mission is. And because if you're not talking about it, no one else will. Um, and then I'd say lastly, like, again, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but like you need to deeply weave this into every aspect of your business. It can't just be an afterthought. Um, and it needs to be authentic. It needs to be part of who you are. And, you know, my experience growing up was very unique. Not everyone has that kind of, you know, depth of an experience that kind of shaped their passion. Uh, but you don't need that. You don't need to have grown up in the developing world to have had that. I mean, every one of us has a unique passion for something. Um, you know, if you're a founder, understand what that is and commit your life to it. And and your job isn't just to go build your business. It's to go commit your life to, to that cause, uh, even outside the business. And as people start seeing that you're living that value, uh, it will make the brand more authentic. Yeah, 
I mean, and that probably comes through with how people feel when they buy your products, right? And, you know, what what would be your hope or like, how would you hope that people associate the Cotopaxi brand with like what feelings, what words um, what is yeah. your, your goal there? Well, fun is one of them. Uh, okay. you, you look at our product, it's like very bright, very colorful. They're a little bit mm-hmm. funky, like a lot of different colors put together block, you know, color blocking is really unique. Yeah. Um, so definitely fun. Um, okay. Optimism. Uh, I'm an optimist. Uh, I, I believe that the world is, is going to get better and better. Um, sometimes it feels like we take a step back for every couple steps forward, and that's probably true. But, you know, I believe that people are good and that they want to make the world a better place and that together we can inspire people to do good with us. And so um, optimism uh, and I would say just uh, empathy. You know, I, I hope that our our brand inspires people to have empathy for other people and that they, you know, we can all look for ways that we can better understand others, that we can use our lives to to lift others around us. Yeah. That's golden. That's golden. I, you know, I, I read too that you allocate 1% of your revenue to the Cotopaxi Foundation. Uh, what is the Cotopaxi Foundation? Yeah, so we commit uh, a minimum of 1%. Um, you know, we're part of 1% for the planet, just like Patagonia and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, we've actually given much more than 1%. Uh, on average, we've given over 2% of our of of our revenue revenues every year. The first five years of the business, that meant we were giving them away more than we ever made. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's important that we're generous. I, I think mm-hmm. showing the team that we're not going to just do the minimum, that we're going to give as much as we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the point where it's uncomfortable, where it hurts a little yeah. bit. And I think that's, there's something beautiful about sacrifice. And mm-hmm. when we make sacrifice uh, to help others, uh, it inspires us to do more. And so, um, but beyond that, that commitment of, of giving to our foundation, you know, the foundation goes and, don't, you know, 100% of those funds go to impact work. We don't have any overhead that we all the overhead is covered by our team. Um, so the foundation work uh, is going towards fighting poverty in, in a lot of the most uh, impoverished communities in the world. Um, but we also have, you know, I mentioned some of the other work that we're doing around you know, around our business that aren't even part of that 2%. And so mm-hmm. when you kind of look at everything together, it's it's a pretty significant impact that a brand our size can have. And in 2021, we assisted almost 1.3 million people living wow. in poverty. Um, and so it's the thing I'm most proud of. It's a thing that I, you know, when I wake up in the morning, like that's what I'm most excited about is how we can further this mission and purpose. Mm-hmm. And like, what what keeps you like going? What keeps you curious, you know, constantly to, to grow in the space, you know, because it sounds like you've got to figure it figured out, right? You're you're doing such great work, and but like, how do you keep keep yourself just peering into that playful side, like you said, and the fun of your brand and the curiosity? Like, what keeps you driving in that direction? Yeah, well, a few things. I think number one, just I think um, I've always been wired to just uh, ambition. Like, just mm-hmm. I want to do something meaningful. I want to spend my life doing something that matters. And so for me, like I'm committed my entire life to building this brand and. Um, it's the thing that I feel, uh, I can't imagine something that I'm more passionate about doing. Um, I love reading, uh, mm-hmm. I love reading, uh, business books. I love reading, uh, books about adventure and, uh, even tales of survival, like crazy adventures where things just went wrong. Um, I also love going on adventures myself. So every year I do a couple of, uh, 
either survival trips where I'll go and uh, live on an island with no food and or a jungle where I'll, um, you know, spearfish and eat coconuts or, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I, you know, caught it, caught and ate a crocodile. Like, you know, I'll, I, I, I try to go put myself in uncomfortable situations where yeah. um, I can really connect with the outdoors and disconnect from everything else. Mm-hmm. Um just uh, last week or a week and a half ago, I, I was, um, you know, climbing some big mountains down in South America with some friends, uh, including Cotopaxi, the, the volcano in Ecuador mm-hmm. that I named business after. Um, I lived in Ecuador as a teenager. And so it's like a place that's really special for me. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I love getting outside and, um, and you know, pushing myself. Um, uh, actually, a, f- a few years ago, I went to Cuba and, and kayaked from, uh, from Cuba to Florida. All right. Um, That's so, so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. So like, I love pushing myself yeah. in that way. And I always find after I do those things, I come back and I feel, hmm. I feel refreshed. I feel energized and, uh, and, and inspired to continue doing more. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think so many people like they want to do something like that, but they're, they just don't, they're like, oh, I can't do that. Like, that's not possible for me to do like, and you're proof that you can do it. But why do you, why do you think people have that hold up, and why do you think you come back so refreshed? Like, what about it? Um, uh, yeah, you know, you're right. A lot of, I think a lot of people, um, I mean, it's like, whenever I talk about these stories, like people are like, wait, I want to go do one of those with you. Like, yeah, right. yeah, it's really fun and it's inspiring. Yeah. And I don't know why, I don't know why uh, it's hard to, to sometimes for people to translate that desire to actually go out and, and mm. do it. I think one thing that probably helped me was uh, just growing up. Uh, my dad was an adventurer. And so okay. I spent a lot of time, even as a young kid, doing these mm-hmm. types of things with my dad. We made our own raft and floated the Amazon River and, and fished for piranha. Wow. We would do oh these kind gosh. of things, you know. So uh-huh. um, I kind of grew up thinking that was normal behavior. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that probably uh, definitely kind of planted in me mm-hmm. this, this love for outdoors and for, for adventure. Wow. I mean, that's that's so special. That's and it's inspiring, too. And I could see, too, how that connects to your brand. It all it all connects. And, you know, I'm sure uh, when I don't know how old you were when you started your entrepreneurial journey, but I'm sure that that boy, that young man, uh, he seeing you now, he'd be pretty proud. And, you know, I know you said when you began, you kind of dabbled in a couple things before you found Cotopaxi. Um, you know, like, what would you say to people who are trying to still find that, that thing, their knack, that niche that they want to work in, um, you know, like people that feel overwhelmed by like, gosh, I could do all these things right now, especially like younger entrepreneurs or people who are going through the startup process, you know, like, what would you say to them to help them hone in on what really is important to them? Yeah. So I I would say, first of all, just like be patient with yourself, like, Mm. um, you know, when I started my very first business, it was a re- it was a really random business. It was a business called PoolTables.com, and it's exactly what you think it is. Is Laura. it? <laughs> uh, no way. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I, I had the idea, and I flew to flew to, to China. I'd never been to Asia before, and what? found some factories, and we started selling online, and um, we ended up doing a million dollars in sales our first year. My cousin and I, and. Um, you know, but it was a small business and it, you know, it grew every year and was profitable from, from month one. And, um, in some ways I was so grateful for it. And then in other ways I would look and I'd see that Mark Zuckerberg had started Facebook the same year that I started. <laughs> and, 
Pulse.com. And it was like, <laughs> what is wrong with me? Like, uh-huh. uh, why am I wasting my time selling pool tables? I need to go do something bigger. And I think I could have been more kind and patient with myself as mm. I kind of navigated my own path. And we don't need to compare ourselves with anyone else. Um, I, I, I love uh, an analogy of, uh, of in the Amazon jungle. Uh, when, when you're in the Amazon, you see these massive trees, these huge trees that create the canopy of the jungle up above, you know, 150 feet up in the sky. And, um, you know, every plant is trying to reach the sun. They're trying to get the sunlight. Um, but what makes the Amazon special is that it isn't just trees. There are vines that rely on the trees to kind of climb up to reach the sun. There are these plants on the base of the jungle floor that spread out the broad leaves and capture any sun that's filtering through. Mm-hmm. And like we need all of those things to make this beautiful ecosystem that is the Amazon and that, that creates life in the way that it does. And so, you know, in our life, sometimes we might be that that towering tree, but there's other times where it's okay to be that that plant that's kind of capturing whatever light we can or to be the vine that's relying on the tree to kind of reach the sun. And, you know, we have these different phases of life where we can we can. Uh, learn and grow and then other times where we can be a mentor and help others and so mm-hmm. um again we just we shouldn't compare ourselves with others we need everyone in whatever phase they're at and of, of their journey and yeah. um yeah so that's uh hmm. something I, I tell maybe my younger self yeah that's beautiful i think that's going to resonate with a lot of people you know what i'm i'm curious too cuz you're you're definitely you're doing so well and you know but what would be as you continue to grow your grandest greatest vision for Cotopaxi as you continue to evolve like what would be the highest version of it um that you envision to, as it continues to grow yeah you know obviously there's uh you know I, I think we're on this path to create you know the next iconic outdoor brand um yeah. but i think more than that it's like really about creating a brand that can inspire thousands of other businesses and millions of consumers to join us in this journey uh, of doing capitalism better. And if we could be an example to others of a company that did it right, that would be my greatest hope. And so um, over the next 30 or 40 years building this brand, that's what I aspire to is being an example of, of transforming capitalism, of saying, you know, capitalism uh, has done an, an incredible job of creating a lot of wealth in the world, but it's left a lot of people behind. And we're destroying the planet along the way. And so what are we going to do differently? How are we going to do this better than we have in the past? Mm, I love that. You know, and from real leaders itself, you are a real leader without a doubt. And, you know, our final question, and you touched on it briefly, but if you want to dive into it a little bit more, you know, what is your definition of a real leader? Yeah, I think, you know, real leaders uh, are people that focus on more than just profit and focus on people. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when I think of success, I think when I was younger, I, I confused success with, um, you know, someone that maybe had a really successful business or someone that had a, a, a beautiful, a big, beautiful home or a lot of, a lot of wealth. And what I've learned um, over the last um, few decades is that that's not success at all. I mean, success is really about how many lives we can touch along our life's journey. And you know, if we can lift people along with us, that's true success. And so um, that's real leadership. And so that's that's what I aspire. And that's what I hope I can. I hope I can live my life that's committed to, to great causes and to noble ideas. Yeah. Well, there you have it, everybody. Davis Smith, thank you so much for joining the Real Leaders podcast today. It was an honor to have you. Thank you, Laura. This was great.
Hey, Real Leaders, thank you again for taking your valuable time to listen today. If you just can't get enough, make sure to check out our magazine. And if you go online to realleaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you'll be able to access all of our magazines, courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to real-leaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. That's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and as always, keep it real.